Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to Hospitality and Fear by Reverend Peter Yonker. We continue our series on hospitality, and this morning our Bible reading comes from the book of Numbers. The reading is found on page 226 in your pew Bibles, and it's Numbers 1326, and I'll read through 14, chapter 14, verse 9. Just a tiny little bit of context. Uh, Israel is on the edge of the promised land. They're so close that they've sent the 12 spies, the 12 scouts into the land. And the scouts are back, and they're giving fabulous reports, milk and honey everywhere, figs, pomegranates, and a cluster of grapes so big, we are told, that it takes two men holding a stick to carry the cluster of grapes between them. And so now the time is come to go to the leaders of Israel, to Moses, and to make their report on what they've found. And that's where we pick it up in verse 26. They, the spies, came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of the Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live along the sea near the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That night, All the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us 
Do not be afraid of them. This is the word of the Lord. In the book, The Art of Neighboring, one of the authors, Jay Pathak, tells a story about when he and his wife moved into their new neighborhood and, and tried to sort of get to know the neighbors so that there'd be better neighborhood cohesion, so they could be good neighbors. And they tried to think how they would do that, and, and what they decided to do was uh, to make baked goods and bring them to their neighbors and introduce themselves. Danielle loved to bake, and so she would make a pie, and she would go and they would present this pie to their neighbors and say hello. Well, most of the neighbors were delighted by this. A few of them were more leery. And one man would not open his door to them. So they showed up on the front porch with the pie, and the man shouted from behind the door, go away, I don't want what you're selling. And they said, well, we're just neighbors, we're just bringing you a pie. And they said, no, go away, I don't want it. This man was suspicious and afraid. You know that fear has taken a firm hold of your life when you become afraid of a couple brandishing a pie. But that's what fear does. Fear does strange things to people. Fear does strange things to the people in our story this morning. The Israelites have been wandering through the desert. They've been traveling towards the promised land for years and years. They've heard about this great land flowing with milk and honey. Their sights have been set on it, and at last they're at the doorstep. They send in these 12 spies, these 12 scouts, to check out the land. And when they go in, they find out that everything God said is true. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. And they bring back figs, and they bring back pomegranates, and they bring back a cluster of grapes so big it takes two men to carry. And they come back and they give a report to the people and say, the land is excellent. So far, so good. But then the fear starts. Because not only did they see figs and pomegranates in the land, they saw people. Big people. Strong-looking people. Living in cities. Big cities. Strong-looking cities. And in their mind, they start to say, how are we going to do this? How are we possibly going to take possession of this land with all those big, strong people there? And the fear starts to cloud their heart. Caleb stands up and he says, no, 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 we could do this. We could take possession of the land. But the fear proves too strong in the minds of the other ten scouts. And now they start to act out of their fear. And out of that fear, they start to do destructive things. And they do at least three destructive things in this passage. First thing they do is they twist the truth. They deceive. Verse 32 said that they gave a bad report to the Israelite community. The Hebrew word for bad report is dabah. And it can also mean like whispering gossip. So I think it's an, uh, it might be onomatopoeia for you English people here. That means that the word sounds like what it means, right? So dabba, 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 dabba. So that sounds like whispering gossip. So they give a bad report. In essence, they give, they give fake news. And they say two fake things. They say, the land is bad. It devours people. Well, that's clearly not true. 
You can imagine Joshua and Caleb saying, what do you mean the land is bad? You guys just came in carrying a load of grapes so big it took two of you to carry them. The land's not bad. And then they say, we saw the Nephilim in the land. The Nephilim. Who are the Nephilim? Well, lots of debate here, but the Nephilim first show up in Genesis 6, before the flood. And they are said to be the offspring of heavenly beings and earthly women. And they are said to be this sort of super race of ultra-warriors, sort of comic book heroes come to life. And, and scholars debate about exactly what they are, but they're clearly these wondrous beings. They're, they're translated as giants in the NIV, or not in the NIV, in the King James Version of the Bible. Now, whatever the Nephilim were, they came before the flood, so the flood must have swept them away. But even if the flood swept them away, you can imagine that these wondrous creatures were large in the imagination of the people of Israel. So when you, when you come to the, 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 the crowd, when you come to the people and you say, we saw the Nephilim in the land, you can imagine how that rumor would spread and how that rumor would go. Fear brings deception and lies. Second thing it brings, grumbling and division. The people hear about this and they say, are you kidding me? We went all this way through the desert to possess a land that devours its people and to fight a giant race? I don't think so. Let's find a new leader. Let's replace Moses. Rebellion and grumbling spread through the entire people. That's the second thing that fear brings. And finally, Fear brings a desire to go back, a desire to retreat from the promised future. In this case, they are even willing to go back to slavery in Egypt. And that's a sure sign of fear. When you are really afraid of the future and of the unknown, you plunk yourself down in what you know and you refuse to move. Even if what you know or what you've known is something as terrible as slavery. Fear does terrible things to people. If I were to describe what fear is, fear is like a tilled field. When you're full of fear, it's like you're, 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 you have this field of your life has been tilled and has been prepared for seed, the seed of the evil one. And in that field of fear, the evil one can sow all of his worst stuff. Lies. Grumbling, dissension, anger, violence, hopelessness. All the worst human miseries can grow in this field of fear. And the one thing that will not grow in the field of fear is, of course, hospitality. It's good that we think about fear and its danger and the kinds of things that fear causes because we live in a society that is very much teaching us to be afraid. We live in a society that is teaching us to be a fearful field, and there's multiple ways in that happens to us. It happens to us through marketing, through commercials. There's a commercial that's on television right now. I think many of you have probably seen it. It's on heavy rotation. And the commercial is designed to get people to get vaccinated for whooping cough. And as the commercial opens, there's a, a very attractive grandma, maybe 60 years old, sitting in a nice living room, sitting on her couch, reading a book. She looks like the least dangerous person you can possibly imagine. But then all of a sudden, grandma has a little cough. 
and her head turns into the head of a wolf. Okay, have you seen this commercial? Right, okay, some of you are nodding. And then she goes back to being a regular grandma. Now, here comes her beautiful grandson being carried in his carrier up the walkway to grandma's house. And now grandma's coming to pick up her little baby, but now her coughing has turned her head permanently into the head of a wolf, and her big fangs are only inches away from baby's head. Uh-oh, better get vaccinated. Right? Now, this, if you see this one commercial one time, it doesn't turn you into a fearful person, but this is the kind of strategy that commercials use all the time in all sorts of areas. This kind of message over and over again, hundreds of times a week, starts to sow fear in your field. Or consider the Lifetime Movie Network. If you're a cable TV subscriber in Grand Rapids and you get Comcast, that's channel number 221. I'm not asking you, I don't want you to watch it, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> 221, the Lifetime Movie Network, uh, I call it the Woman in Peril Network, because it's, it, it shows nothing but movies, and almost every single movie follows roughly the same plot line. A woman who's living a good life with her husband in a house all of a sudden finds out that someone close to her, her neighbor, her doctor, her, someone else in her life is a stalker, a psycho, a dangerous killer. And if you don't believe me, and I do mean every single movie, here is the lineup. These are the titles of the movies from this past Thursday. The Stalker Club, Best Friend's Betrayal, The Wrong Friend, The Home Killing Queen, I Killed My BFF, followed by Psycho BFF, and last but not least, I Killed My BFF, The Preacher's Daughter. <laughs> now, I agree with you, these are laughably ridiculous, but people watch these things. If you spend all day long watching movies, and they're not just on the Lifetime Movie Network, if you spend all day long watching movies that are training you to believe that the purple people closest to you, your BFF, your doctor, your neighbor, are actually psychos. What does that do to your spirit? It's teaching you to fear. This is fear porn. And then, of course, there's politics. Over the next year, as we approach the election from both sides of the aisle, this is a nonpartisan message, we will be trained in fear. There will be some political messages that will be positive, that will have a candidate hold up a positive and hopeful vision of what Grand Rapids can be, Michigan can be, America can be. But most of the commercials will say, at least to begin with, if you vote for my opponent, America will collapse, Michigan will collapse, Grand Rapids will collapse we will be trained to fear. Now this is really tricky because there are things to fear in this world. There are communicable diseases that need to have vaccinations. And when people in the 1930s warned that Hitler was dangerous, these people were not fear-mongering, they were telling the truth. 
So not all fear is bad, but there's a difference between being careful and being watchful and having fear at the center of your life, having fear as your story, having fear as your field. And it's when fear becomes the center of your life, when fear becomes your story, when fear becomes your field, that's when the evil one can start sowing all that nasty stuff. Ten of the spies are swept up in fear. For ten of the spies, fear is their story. But for two of the spies, first Caleb and later Joshua, they see something else. They see the fortified cities, they see the people, they see the danger, they see the challenge, but somehow fear is not the center of their story. What is the center of their story? What does Caleb see? What's at the center of Caleb's mind? He sees the truth of God's promises. God said the land would flow with milk and honey, and it flows with milk and honey, just as he said. He sees the truth of God's presence in verse 9. God is with us. He's always been with us. He's been leading us with that, that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire for years and years and years. There's been manna every morning. He brought us through the Red Sea. People, he's taken us through many dangers, toils, and snares. He's always been with us. So yes, it's a little scary ahead, but we can do this. Of course, we should possess the land. Caleb sees the danger, but the danger is not his story. God's faithfulness is his story. Caleb sees the trouble, but the trouble is not his story. God's faithfulness is his story. When fear is our story, when fear is our trouble, we look at the future and the possibilities and even the good possibilities, the good futures that we've been working towards for a long time suddenly seem terrifying. When fear is our story, our neighbors, even the people closest to us, and especially the strangers, seem terrifying. But when God's faithfulness is our story, our world opens up, and we're able to go into a future and face scary things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we're able to open our arms to our neighbors in love. Paul describes the difference between these two mindsets really, really well in a verse that, if you want a memory verse this week, this is a good one, Romans 8.15. And of course, Paul, when he writes this verse, he's writing it after a greater deliverance in the Exodus. He's writing after the deliverance of Jesus from the grave and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul says. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you may live in fear again. You're no longer slaves to fear. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by that spirit we cry, Abba, Father. You are not slaves to fear. This is not a fear story. This is an Abba, Father story. And you are his beloved sons and daughters. And that's what we try to tell you here every single week, in one way or the other. You come out of that world where people make movies like Psycho BFF, and you come out of that world where there are real dangers, right? Where it really is violence. 
and there really are things to worry about for your children, and where people you love really do suddenly get taken from you. But you come into this place, and we remind you that this is not a fear story. This is an Abba Father story. And I try to do that with my sermons. We proclaim it in every song we sing, and these windows proclaim it to you and surround you with that story every time you walk in this building. So that when you leave, you may go out and you may be prepared and you may be ready and you may be watchful, but you won't be afraid. In her neighborhood in Durham, North Carolina, Rosaria Butterfield practices what she calls radically ordinary hospitality. And what that means is that Every single week, she, she goes in a flurry of cooking and baking so that all her neighbors can come over. There's a carport in the neighborhood in Durham, and she makes chili, and she makes bread, and she makes lemonade, and other neighbors bring food, and they, every week they gather, and they just have a neighborly banquet together. And in that neighborhood, that's forged friendships, and it's brought people to Christ, and it's, it's caused people to pray for each other. It's a beautiful little hospitable community until Hank moved in. In 2014, one of the nice neighbors sold their home to someone named Hank, and as soon as they saw Hank, they knew he was trouble. He looked hard. Hank was a recluse, so reclusive that almost the first thing he did was disable his front doorbell so no one would bother him. In the summer, he did not mow his lawn. He just let it grow wild. He would be outside talking on his cell phone, screaming obscenities into it that echoed down the road into the ears of all the children. And he had a large pit bull named Tank who would often get out and just run around the neighborhood and terrify people. So almost all the neighbors looked at, at Hank and were afraid of him, did not want anything to do with him, thought he was a criminal element. But not Rosaria and her family. They kept inviting this scary stranger in, kept inviting him, and Hank kept pushing him away until Tank the pit bull got lost. And Hank finally came out of his house, and he was looking for Tank and calling for Tank. And Rosaria, and especially Rosaria's children, loved dogs, and so they were determined to help Hank. And so they ran all over the neighborhood. They put up signs looking for this lost pit bull. And when Tank was finally found and brought home, everything changed. Hank started coming to the dinners. Hank started talking to people. Hank started lending tools and doing little jobs for people in the neighborhood. It was great. If only that were the end of the story. Two years later, 2016, the DEA shows up in Hank's driveway, puts yellow tape around Hank's house, arrests Hank, and takes him away for running a meth lab in his house. He gets 10 years in prison. So was this a fear story after all? Was this a Lifetime Movie Network movie? The psycho next door meth neighbor? No. Those neighbors kept reaching out to Hank when he was in prison. They kept writing to him. Some of them kept visiting him. Rosaria's husband kept visiting him. She showed up every single week. And when Hank in prison detoxed from the meth that he was addicted to, now he was really, really interested in finding the source of this love that he'd received from his neighbors and the Jesus 
who was the fountainhead of that neighborly love. And so he reads his Bible every day, and he prays for his old neighbors every single day. It's not a fear story. It's an Abba Father story. It's a Jesus story. It's a resurrection story. And it will never end. Lord God, I praise you for this hour that we are able to spend in this place and lift our heads above all the things that frighten us in the world and in ourselves and in our families and in a thousand places. We can lift our heads above those things and see your son and his cross and his resurrection and see your love for us and see your everlasting promises and once again put our feet firmly on those places. Lord, lift us up in your love and your truth and make us truthful and loving people in your world. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.